0: Loving monsters from South African director uh, Michael Matthews He has one big film on his resume Well big in the sense that it put him on Hollywood's radar, but this is supposed to be his breakout film and I gotta say It's a pretty blatant ripoff of Zombieland, but A surprisingly competent ripoff, you know the long line this movie's been in development for a really long time I think this article is back from 2012 2013 but anyway uh, they said, oh, it's, it's Zombieland meets Mad Max with a twist of John Hughes. And I, I see the John Hughes as well. Uh, Dylan O'Brien has unfortunately become a poor man's Tom Holland. Hollywood is so unfair. But I don't see any Mad Max in here. That's you know I think they just put that in there to be like, it's not a total ripoff of Zombieland. And I'm like, it kind of is. I'd say the difference is, is that while Zombieland leans more towards sass than heart, Love and Monsters does the opposite. It's a sweeter... Uh, film so I guess that makes them different enough to coexist. I don't know. I mean Zombieland, I don't know if the, uh, Sony's gonna bring that back at this point point. Um, and maybe love and monsters is just getting started I was gonna say it later on in this video and I still will but I'd be up for more of this I thought it was it was good enough to continue now the script is by Brian Duffield and Matthew Robinson Who have pretty solid resumes like not amazing resumes but it makes sense that they would be able to churn out something this good you're like you guys are pretty good Uh, I guess this is supposed to be their breakout uh, film as well I'm curious to see how many people pay attention to this it's tough these days it's tough uh, to debut any film during a pandemic Uh, but this isn't based on anything by the way despite Dylan O'Brien's character keeping an illustrated journal of monsters that he comes across Which would make you think it's based on such a published book. You know, like, oh, let's turn this monster god into a movie. and No, they just put that in there for some reason. I'm not quite sure why. Um, I think it took up some screen time, quite frankly. It's a good movie, though. That's a nitpick. Basically, Love and Monsters swamps zombies for giant mutated man-eating bugs, reptiles, and crustaceans. By the way, don't eat while you watch this movie. It's gross. Um, and the fact that I still enjoyed it because I don't like gross stuff just goes to show you how enjoyable it is And instead of our beta hero uh, Sticking with the same crew throughout the entire movie all a la zombie land here He has a series of brief encounters as he tries to find the girlfriend He hasn't seen in seven years who it turns out is just a seven-day walk away They should have played that up more seven years, but just seven days away. That's a good line Uh Again, you know, again, just if I could tweak it a little bit, even at least in the advertising campaign, seven years, just seven days away. Uh, But one of the encounters that Dylan O'Brien's character has in the movie is very clever. I'm not going to ruin it for you. Oh, I still want to talk about it, but it was really, really good. And it's also moving. It was clever and moving. And it's unique to Love and Monsters, which is particularly why I liked it. And I felt it was the best encounter he had because it, may, it was one of the times that Love and Monsters didn't feel like anything else that it was very much its own movie. It wasn't, you know, borrowing from something else. Also, Dylan O'Brien is joined by a dog on this journey who is one heck of a canine actor. Wow, I don't even really like short hair dogs. I know you guys are going to be like, what, Grace? I'm sorry, I don't. But I love this dog. This dog was amazing. I liked him from the moment I saw him. He had the most beautiful eyes. I, I swear any moment he, he could have talked. He was emoting that much. He had a cute little house when we first meet him. Oh, so cute. I loved it so much. He'll, he does something when he first enters, home, enters his home. And it actually made me laugh out loud. It was so adorable. Again, I don't want to give it away. Uh... That dog was great. It was a stroke. That was also unique to this movie. It was a stroke of genius giving that, uh, you know, Dylan O'Brien's character a dog on this journey. It turned, it was like Toto. It was a little bit Wizard of Oz-like too. And he, he really definitely, he definitely had a Toto. This dog was Toto level. Uh, also, just when you think the film is your standard apocalypse road trip movie, there are a number of twists and turns, especially in the third act, which really surprised me. I'm pretty good at seeing stuff coming because I watch a lot of movies a lot of movies and TV and this stuff was a surprise a few things. I saw just a few seconds before they happened, but I was like, that's very good. Uh, and they level up the film to something that could have totally played in theaters as this was originally meant to do before the pandemic. Paramount didn't take a, um, you know, a bomb and just decide to, you know, (laughs) to have the pandemic throw itself on top of it. This is like this movie, I think could have done well in theaters. And so it's really nice that we're getting it on, on PVOD this Friday. Also, on the note of it being worthy of theaters, the VFX are very good. I mean, they're cartoonish. The designs of these uh, monsters are cartoonish, but they're very believable. You know, you felt like Dylan O'Brien was actually fighting these monsters and running for them. A couple of times I was like, wow, this movie was not cheap to make. This is very good. I mean... Hollywood has this cheap trick that they use all the time where they're like, oh, instead of us showing you an expensive element, we're going to have it off screen so you can use your imagination. We see you, Hollywood. We know you're just trying to save a buck. And I was impressed that they didn't do that here. They spent the money. Uh, There are really a lot lot of different monsters. He didn't have to draw them. I got to see them (laughs) and they looked great. Dylan O'Brien does a fantastic job in a role that not only gives him action sequences, which he's no stranger to at this point, but the chance to flex his comedic muscles as well. If Tom Holland, again, hadn't gotten the gig, um, Dylan O'Brien's like about five or six years older than Tom Holland, but Dylan O'Brien would make an excellent Peter Parker. And he's kind of playing that character here. He's asked to pretty much carry the entire picture himself, and he does it with ease, with the help of a clever and likable uh, voiceover uh, narrate, to narrate the uh, to narrate the story. It's very good. Uh, Michael Rooker is basically doing a Woody Harrelson impression, albeit a, a kinder, gentler version. But I would think at this point in his career, he'd be above that. I mean, I, I can't believe Michael Rooker wasn't like, "Look, I don't really think I should rip off another actor. I think it's kind of uncool. Uh, I, I think that they should have made a change." Uh, even though I did enjoy Michael Rooker's performance. Uh, Ariana Greenblatt and Jessica Hedwick represent the women in this world, at least in this installment. Uh, and Greenblatt definitely has the edge with her spunky little monster hunter. I loved her. She was great. She looked great. She was funny. She, she, was, she, she was not a precocious child character. She was just, re- I really thought she was fantastic. Then I'm a big fan of Jessica Henwick. She was almost Rey in Star Wars, although maybe she dodged a bullet there. But she's a great actress. Iron Fist should not have been canceled it was just getting good but unfortunately here i mean look jessica henwick you can't keep a good actress down she definitely connects despite the role that she's given but unfortunately the role is a sidelined and rather muted you know girlfriend love interest role which is surprisingly old-fashioned for today you know i mean dylan o'brien His character has kind of idealized her. So he kind of keeps her a little bit away. And the movie does as well. So we don't really get to connect with her, unfortunately. Oh, I don't want to give away any of the surprises. I don't want to give any of the surprises away. But there are a couple of script things that I also think, you know, hinder her character a little bit in terms of us, you know, Connecting with her. Uh, I also like the actors playing Dylan O'Brien's colony at the beginning of the film. They're like a bunch of Abercrombie and uh, Fitch models, right? <laughs> Which is part of the joke. Uh, it did feel like a college uh, fraternity or dorm, you know, uh, but during the apocalypse, and Dylan O'Brien's character isn't supposed to fit in. And you would think that they would just wouldn't like him and stuff like that. But I think that we don't see their characters too much, but they were really nice and kind people. And I thought that the actors who played them gave them a surprising amount of depth with that little bit of screen time I really like them in fact as I said this movie was such a surprising treat I'd be up for a sequel or turning it into a streaming show Uh, I don't know if anyone could have I mean this is what it's um, a Paramount so I don't know who Paramount Plus maybe does Paramount have the money for that expensive a streaming show I I guess we'll find out but I think this is I, I would not give up on this there's there's potential to continue this for sure Finally, the film is shot in Australia, which makes for a stunning backdrop. Often while I was watching the movie, I was like, where is this? This foliage is amazing. Where are we? Uh, They had a lot of beautiful like wide shots of the terrain because, you know, it is to some degree a road trip movie. And I stuck around through the credits because I wanted to see if there was an end credit sequence. There's not. There's a bit of a tease, but it's right before the credits. So uh, I I watched the credits just to be sure. I fast forwarded them. But as I was stopping and starting, uh, because I don't, you know how it is when you get to the end. If you get to the very end, it'll just go to the beginning of the movie. And you're like, no. So I was trying to get to the end and I saw that they shot it in Australia. And I was like, wow, that's beautiful country. So yes, I think Love and Monsters is definitely a worthy purchase at $25. I know that's expensive, but I mean, it would cost that much for... Uh, in New York, that's, that's one ticket. But I think in other places, that's two tickets. I mean, you can watch it again. Uh, I'm not sure what extras it comes with. Um, I, I forgot to check before I film this. Maybe it has a making of with it. That would be cool. And it's it's a good film. If you, you know, I think it's worth it. I think it's a great thing to watch this weekend. First, it's start, And again, you can purchase it this starting this Friday. It's fun. It's surprising. There are so many surprises. Don't let anyone ruin them for you. Really, really strong. It's very sweet. And it's theater-level entertainment that you can enjoy at home starting Friday. And I would say that it's Dylan O'Brien's best film to date. So that's my review of Love and Monsters. Share your thoughts down below, subscribe today, and of course, as always, you can check out some more videos right now.